0: Welcome back. This is Nature of Business, and I'm your host, Chrissy Coughlin. Thank you for joining us today. We have with us today Dave Bartlett. He is the VP of Smarter Physical Infrastructure at IBM. And he is helping clients create more green, cost-efficient cities, campuses, and corporate offices worldwide. He's known as IBM's Building Whisperer, and he is a vocal advocate in the news and at industry events as well as here on the radio for using data analysis to improve how buildings function and tame wasteful energy practices. Welcome Dave.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: I'm, so am I. I'm so glad that we finally made this happen and that we're, uh, we're going to learn more about the Building Whisperer. All right. <laughs> well, I gave a be- brief background there. Uh, let's, let's talk a little bit about, um, more about who you are, and there's obviously so much more to the story, and um, what, what you're doing at IBM.
1: Sure. You know, my undergraduate work was uh, in biology, so I'm really a biologist at heart. cellular biology, botany, zoology, ornithology. In fact, I've got my two-and-a-half-year-old granddaughter tracking a a nest of uh, red tails right now and and blue herons that have just hatched. Every day she's on on the Internet with me. But, you know, it was hard to get a job as a biologist, so I went to graduate school for computer science and ended up at IBM. And, wow, what an amazing career that has been, taking me to Europe for ten years and, now, with our Smarter Planet campaign, I feel like I'm no longer of a job. I'm on a mission. I'm able to uh, use uh, my background as a biologist coupled with uh, my degree in computer science to really um, take the data that is streaming from the world, the physical world, and really helping us to live in a more sustainable and efficient way.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So your day to day obviously is never really the same, but what what are we what are we talking about here when we when we talk about smarter buildings and sort of making these inanimate objects really take on a life form?
1: Well, you know smarter buildings are um, beyond uh, what a lot of people think of as uh, green and uh, you know it's really a- about providing optimal occupancy services in a reliable, more sustainable manner. You know, it's um, we leverage both active or real-time and designing techniques to achieve not only the efficiency but the environmental responsibility with, you know, this ability to interact with the occupants inside them as well as the environment around them. Uh, buildings don't exist in isolation. They're part of this this greater ecosystem, and are they a, a, a part of that uh, built environment ecosystem that is contributing positively or negatively to the environment? I mean, ultimately, our buildings, um, you know, if they're not maintaining a safer, more secure and and productive workplace, then it doesn't matter how much technology you throw at them, you know if people aren't seeing a difference in their quality of life and their productivity and and their health and safety uh, uh, you know within the building and environment you know is it really smarter so so that's what we're really focused on and that's what we mean when we say smarter um,
0: that is terrific so i uh I'm interested about the the behavior aspect of this because this is this is a, a huge part of it. Because people really have gone gone to work for hundreds of years now, and uh, don't really look at at, the, at a building as something that they interact with. You just go to work, you leave, and you go about your day. Tell me, t- let's talk about the behavior part. What what are we doing? What are you doing at IBM to alter that behavior and we have have people become more engaged in how these buildings are shifting?
1: Well, you know, it's um, again, it, it requires not looking at the building as an inanimate object, but as uh, something that is more animate, that is has some awareness of what's happening within it and what's happening within the environment around it and is responsive to it. Using my background as a biologist, I like to think about the physiology of a building. Mm-hmm. For example, rather than thinking about air handling units and duct work and, you know, vents and filters. I think about the respiratory system of a building. I think about the lungs of a building. And and why are they in place? Uh, It's to provide, again, a healthy environment for people, to uh, exchange uh, oxygen for carbon dioxide. And when you think of a building this way, you know, a lot of buildings, they exchange air with the outside based on an industry standard. An ASHRAE standard, mm-hmm. but if you're really aware of the occupancy and tasks being done in a building, and and aware of the CO2 levels, the contaminant levels, the oxygen levels, then like an organism, you're going to exchange air when it's really required to maintain that healthy environment. I mean, if you're doing it too often, you're just wasting a lot of energy, mm-hmm. just like you know, you're breathing. Way too fast and too hard for, for what you need to do at the resting state. On the other hand, if you're not doing air exchange often enough, uh, you know, then you're creating an unhealthy environment by not removing the CO2. Something to ask yourself when you, when you come back from lunch and feel sleepy in your office. Mm-hmm. Is, you know, what, what's really happening with the air in this building? <laughs> so right. you know, th- we have the, the technology to do that, and, and that's where the focus should be. Uh, To make people more engaged, you know, we've arrived at a point in technology where it's just so easy to do that with the, uh, you know, mobility, the uh, number of smartphones. You know, one of the statistics I thought was interesting was last year we exceeded the number of wireless subscriptions in this country uh, with – Compared to the number of men, women, and children living in the country, we had more wireless subscriptions wow. than we had people That's <laughs> so crazy. people are highly connected it 's a very natural way uh, to interact so we 've done some projects uh, using uh, smartphones uh, to uh, with the aid of an app and with the aid of geotagging for people to participate more in reporting about their environment and connected directly to uh, help desks that can automatically um, take the feedback and initiate actions to to go correct conditions. So it's really turning the model more upside down on its head rather than maintaining a building based on a set point and a thermostat. Mm -hmm. We're maintaining buildings and environments based on real-time feedback from the occupants. And that gets people engaged in it. They, They see the difference. And, when you take the cumulative impact of everyone starting to participate in how a building is managed, you can show the cumulative results in productivity and energy savings, uh, and, and that just k- serves to get people more and more engaged.
0: Mm-hmm. So what is the process then for, for old buildings that have been around for 100 years or so, um, in, as far as their retrofit goes? It, it seems a little more straightforward if you have a newer building that's, you know, "Quote unquote greener," w- what what does this mean for like a big a big monolith? Let's say in D.C. <laughs> <laughs>
1: it, yeah, and that's a good question one I often get. But you know I haven't found a building yet that we haven't been able to to do something even with the existing instrumentation. Mm. Why? Because even buildings that are over a hundred years old, which I've worked with, uh, you know, have had um, have some level of instrumentation. Uh, based on natural upgrades, based on what we're reading through the metering that's going on in the buildings. I'll give you one example. A 102-year-old building that's um, that we, without implementing a single sensor, just implementing or connecting to existing uh, HVAC systems and existing meters, uh, we wanted to create a baseline of energy usage and understand how energy was being used based on occupancy. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you determine occupancy given this this building? Well, one thing we did have was water meter readings. And, you know, it's interesting to note there's a direct correlation between, for example, toilet flushes and human occupancy in a building. So <laughs> this was, this building was actually in an academic environment, so the uh, there wasn't a badging system in place. There wasn't, uh, you know, any advanced, uh, you know, censoring in place. But we saw when students were supposed to be on break um, that if there was no water being used, yet the energy uh, was the same as when classes in session or even cases when there was a spike, mm-hmm. that there was a problem there. There was an adjustment that needed to be made. Now, you can always add more sensors to it. But... Uh, there's a huge room for creativity in the information that's just available today, so it's very easy to get
0: started. Mm -hmm. So tell me why being, um, you know, coming from IBM is is such a unique um, perch from which to do this work, and how is it enabling you to really move the needle even quicker and further?
1: Well, you know, IBM, uh, I've been with them, uh, you know, I didn't expect to be with them as long as I have and, and uh they said I've had an amazing career. But you know, our our founding principal in IBM, um and IBM just recently celebrated its hundredth anniversary as a company mm-hmm. but one of the founding principles was to be responsible a responsible and contributing member to the communities that we live and work in. And as such, um you know IBMers regularly donate time and money to community projects um, and, and in fact the um, in in our centennial year which was 2011 um, there was more than 300,000 IBMers that took part in, in doing 3.2 million hours of community based services and that was across like 120 countries and IBM Provides the time and support to do that, so we're very community-oriented company. But we've always had uh, a commitment to environmental protection. Again, important to me, given my background, as mm-hmm. I've explained. And, and I mean, I look back in the records, and uh, can find environmental policies in place in 1971, mm-hmm. um, calling for us to be an environmental leader across all areas of business. Uh, and the products we sell, and helping clients uh, in the protection of the environment. But you know, it's it's more than just a a policy. It's it's part of who we are. In fact, we don't have uh, a chief sustainability officer because it's part of everybody's mission. And as a testament to that, um, in the last two decades, um, so it's not just recently, but you know, since 1990 we've saved over uh, almost 6 billion kilowatts of of uh, le- electricity consumption or um, in terms of carbon emissions, that equates to 3.7 million metric tons. Mm. So it's, you know, or, you know, if you want to put a dollar figure on it, it's around 450 million just mm-hmm. through the annual conservation action. So, you know, when I brought the... Idea of smarter buildings to the strategy team. Y- you know, the uh, the chairman asked me to. You know, he was, I was explaining how much opportunity there was to save energy. He, in writing some numbers on a piece of paper, thinking, you know, what impact would this have to IBM and the env- environments we operate in, and asked me to start within IBM and 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 gave me the charter to do that. And and um and we've. Uh, Really, come up with yet additional ways to to build on the savings that I've just mentioned, and implemented our smarter building strategy now across t- over 24 campuses in IBM.
0: Oh, that's terrific. So, how 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 did you um, get the name the Building Whisper? How'd that come about? <laughs> <Yeah>.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's uh, w- what's happened in the last couple of decades is uh, this proliferation of smart sensor technology everything is emitting digital data if you even if you look in your home you know everything's got a blinking light on it now Mm -hmm. including what makes toast in the morning in our house this (laughs) toaster uh, has a digital led readout it has functions like if you press a button the toast can come up and you can look at it and it can go back down without missing a beat and keep toasting and when I go on vacation, I even unplug this toaster now because it's uh, you know, the phantom load factor there. Mm-hmm. But, but the, my point is, the world has become so highly instrumented. There's so much data uh, coming from it that if we just um, take the uh, initiative to listen to it holistically in respect to what's being done in that space, uh, so, uh, uh, an awareness of the task of uh, that, that's being done, and awareness of what all the data is telling you about that infrastructure that's serving that task. Um, there's a huge opportunity here to to do things efficiently. Mm-hmm. Um, just to put some numbers behind it, um, 200 billion physical assets now in this world have intelligence. And are connecting to the internet that are creating this phenomena called internet of things mm-hmm. that promises to be as transformational as the original internet was to people and connecting people to information it 's now the physical world populating the internet with with um physical information about itself about its operating state about um you know its temperature about its uh you know, condition and and, um, its need to replace a part. So, Mm -hmm. and with this, these constructs of machine-to-machine communication where one machine is giving some input to another that's taking an action based on that. But, you know, machines are much better about populating the Internet than people were, and people are pretty good. We've Mm -hmm. got a lot of information out there now. But with machines doing this now, it's estimated there's, 2.5 2.5 quintillion bytes of data going out there a day and so much, so recently that 90% of the data in the world has is, 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 uh, been populated just in the last two years alone. So, so with all this data, with all this awareness, I know this is a long answer to your question. That's
0: but okay. It's helpful. It's great. Right?
1: But it's um, this is our opportunity to listen to it to understand it, to run analytics on it, and get deeper insight. And we have an opportunity, and I maintain an unprecedented opportunity, an opportunity for transformation that we haven't had before in how we run our built environment in a far more efficient, task-oriented manner. Um, so, So the idea was if we holistically can listen to a building, we can heal it of its wild energy and water wasting ways. And mm-hmm. and that's where kind of the building whisperer
0: <laughs> yeah. idea came from. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's a great that's it, a good that's a good answer. Um I'm I'm you're kinda of saying that the the technology, everything's there for us, for the taking. We just have to organize ourselves around it. Is that
1: I really am. There's not a lot of new invention needed. Right. Um, it's just a matter of um, taking advantage of all this instrumentation by interconnecting it, yep. bringing it together, and then um, you know, gaining intelligence from that collected set of structured and unstructured data. Now, it doesn't mean it's easy because this is definitely as i was describing earlier a big data play Mm -hmm. a lot of the data from our physical environment has a very short shelf life and that if you want to take action on something based on current temperature or state you know what's relevant this hour may not be relevant in the next hour etc so it takes uh... it constructs that um the old IT applications aren't built for. Them. When we talk big data, we're mm-hmm. talking about how do you warehouse data, how do you stream it, how do you correlate and sort it and filter it, how do you run analytics on it, how do you visualize it, but doing it in a time frame where you can take this meaningful action. And of course, you know, in IBM's terms, that's this is what IBM does. Uh, this is right. what we've spent decades building, this capability to deal with data at, at these levels. So it's a very uh, natural play for us mm-hmm. um, and one that we think can um, add a lot of value to a lot of the other great efforts that are going on in the world around greener buildings and, and energy systems and lighting systems. It's just this um, ability to take the data from all of them and, and look for these deeper insights mm-hmm. through analytics.
0: Are you optimistic about the, the sort of the time frame around this and, and the momentum I'm optimistic.
1: I, I really think it's um, there's so many things that um, have reached a point, uh, tipping point, if you will, that are enabling this to happen. I know there's a lot of people that are pessimistic about you know climate change and and concerned, and there's there's good reason for that. But if you consider the fact that the techn- technology is largely in place to do this, the um, as I said, there's an, enough digital uh, feeds of information there to get the information, required set of information and take action. There's the bandwidth to process it. I mean, my gosh, look what we're streaming uh, from our, 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 our smart pads, mm-hmm. tablets, and our phones, uh, even video-rich content. Uh, so we've got this amazing bandwidth. Uh, we've got amazing advances in storage, Um, at the right price point. We've got awareness that we haven't had before with some unprecedented climatic events that we've had to deal with, especially in the Northeast or or places like uh, New Orleans. Mm -hmm. Um, We've had some great awareness at the uh, state and federal level and and, um, legislation. You've got the president Obama's executive order th- 13514 to reduce energy in the federal portfolio. And we're involved in that project to help mm-hmm. do that. But we've also got a lot of state led initiatives, um, that have gotten more visibility, frankly, from the n- number of climatic events. So I'm working, I'm personally working with, uh, and uh, met with the governor of the state of Connecticut who, uh, just through some of these freak storms have been without power for as much as two weeks, right. uh, but also the the state of New York, uh, working with uh, Rutgers and the state of New Jersey, uh, to look at uh, what we can do about uh, be more resilient and more efficient based on what we've experienced in sandy so um, the fact that the capability' is there there's an awareness that we need to do something mm-hmm. there's um, we 've got some leadership at the the city, state, and federal level. Mm-hmm. You know, this to me is creating this. Uh, excuse me for the analogy, but the perfect storm
0: mm-hmm.
1: to, to move forward, and and that's why I'm very optimistic.
0: Well, I'm optimistic too, especially when I hear you speak at, at conferences, et cetera, and hear you talk about it because it does seem so tangible, and it seems that it's you know it really is within within the realm of possibility, and a and a I think expeditious expeditiously speaking, if you will, um, let's. Talk a little. We've got a few more minutes, um, and I wanted to talk about some of the big challenges you have when you go out there and you're trying to explain the kind of work and the importance of the work that you do. What what are what are your like deepest frustrations?
1: Well, you know, for me, um, and hey, you know, I grew up in the, the '60s, so <laughs> to me, it's all about a movement. <laughs> right. You know, technology by itself isn't going to cut it. It, it. People have to embrace it. And um, and people have to get behind it. And as I said, there's a lot of events doing that. But I think my my frustration is is getting an, um more people to listen, to mm-hmm. believe, to understand. Which is why I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you today. I mean, there's so much opportunity to transform the way we interact with buildings. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it does require a kind of paradigm ship, shift. Um, you know, for most people in the space, because it's not, particularly the traditional facilities, teams, and and um, people that operate in the space. It's just, it's not natural for them to do the big IT data play on top of this. It's, a, it's kind of a new way to think about mm-hmm. the built environment. Uh, it's a whole new set of what-ifs that we can ask that we can apply with this technology. So, you know, we just need people to... Uh, embrace it with all the possibilities to be re, to realize that full potential so you know that's why i've taken on this uh... also this role of evangelist just to get the good word out there and and that's what i see as one of the big challenges here
0: right but it it is so important to keep that positive message going because it is it is overwhelming there are there are a couple examples um... that and we have a couple more minutes uh, to just to talk about I i read an, on on two lane a little bit was going on in Tulane and obviously with the fallout of Katrina um, their Tulane University had a lot of it has has had to be rebuilt and also the facility in Rochester Minnesota which Rochester was actually in the news today because they're they are getting 12 feet or something or not 12 inches or three feet I don't know of snow today Um, so talk about climactic changes but get maybe one of those examples of, of, of of what has gone on in New Orleans or Minnesota. I can give our listeners an example of how it's working.
1: Yeah, so Minnesota, you know, th- this was actually my first test case within the company. And um, why Minnesota? It's a 50 year old site. The average uh, low for the month of January is minus four, or, or I'm sorry, four degrees Fahrenheit. I know because I went to graduate school for computer sci- science an hour north of there in Minneapolis. <laughs> mm-hmm. And they had basically done everything tr- in the traditional um, facilities world on the supply and demand side of energy. They even had a 7% uh, energy reduction project in place. So they were really, you know, quite skeptical. If Okay, maybe you could make an impact in a building that's operating really poorly, but in this facility... Is it possible right. to make a difference? And, of course, with the, the support of, of our executive management in the company, um, our CEO at the time, um, we went forward with it. Mm-hmm. And within eight months, on top of that 7% program, um, not only solved another 8% energy efficiency for a total of 15, but we've gone beyond that today, while lowering the maintenance costs, because uh, with this way of uh, listening to the building, as I've been describing, they got such a better end-to-end view of uh, what was happening in the building, mm-hmm. what needed to be addressed, what um, wh- how to prioritize maintenance, and exactly uh, what needed to be done, mm-hmm. that they actually started a shift from preventative maintenance to proactive maintenance because after all yeah. most buildings are in place to provide a reliable and productive environment and uh, if you can be more proactive on your maintenance that's fewer calls coming into the help desk um, it's fewer hours spent when you go out to fix something because you have true. more precision in understanding what the problem is where it is as opposed to just getting a call saying it's too hot or it's too cold
0: right. well, we have and in that to-
1: first uh, uh
0: we actually have to. We have to finish. Unfortunately, I'm getting the 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 winded up um, from uh, my producer, but that means we're going to have to get you back on the show because there's obviously much more to talk about. Yeah, yeah. well, I really <laughs>
1: appreciate the opportunity. Uh, of course, to it's been video. it's been
0: wonderful, and I will see you soon. Okay, that's a deal. All right, All right. bye. We'll be right back.